Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, it's awards week. We are recording this mid-afternoon on Tuesday, so we're in the middle of all of it, but we are able to at least still discuss what we think is going to happen the rest of this week. We can look back on Monday night's announcement of the Rookie of the Year, um, which clearly uh, everyone projected because uh, two years unanimous winners which was really impressive but um i i think this is just it's a fun week for baseball in general just because it's sort of just tying the bow on the 2023 season and uh now we have to i mean the at least the one rookie uh of the year was one of the biggest names all throughout the postseason we heard about corbin carroll for so many weeks all through october um, so it was cool to see him get a little bit more recognition. You have Gunnar Henderson. And I think the biggest takeaway is that this these rookie classes were so fun this year and really, really loaded. And I thought MLB Network, that whole reveal show, did such a great job of really highlighting how this award is usually given to people who blossom. It's not just like this fluke thing in their rookie seasons. They're really great. The last few years, you look back and you see the players that we've all seen. I mean, it was only a handful of years ago, five years ago, that Shohei Otani was this guy. So um, it was, I thought they did a really great job of just showing what this award can lead to for so many different guys. And now we saw Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson take that for the AL and the NL. Not to our jump ahead, and I'll go back to Rookie of the Year in a moment. But you mentioned uh, Shohei Otani a couple of years ago. That year, you know, was Rookie of the Year in the National League. Ronda Cunha Jr. So very likely they're going to become the first set of guys to win Rookie of the Year the same year and then win MVP the same year. That's why. I want to go back to what you said about the show. I love the breakdowns, yes. We all knew who was going to win these. As you said, they were both unanimous, so it really wasn't a question. That doesn't mean that Tanner Bybee and Kodai Senga and James Altman and everyone involved did not have great rookie seasons. They did. They're really, really good. And I love the show as a chance to, you know, highlight all of them. Tristan Cassis being the guy I forgot to mention as well. But I love seeing that and we'll see that all throughout the week. And I do want to mention it was only the fifth time that both rookie of the years were unanimous. Happened in 2017 with Cody Bellinger and Aaron Judge. In 1997 with Scott Rowland and Noah Garcia Parra. 1993, Mike Piazza and Tim Salmon. And in 1987 with Benicio Santiago and Mark McGuire. And yeah, I did a bunch of work prepping for these awards, getting ready, being ready to contextualize them. 
I looked that up about a week ago because I just had a feeling that was probably going to happen. Really, really cool for both guys. But again, I love the pedestal for all six guys getting a chance to celebrate what they did and how they did distinguish themselves from the pack. Just speaking from watching Tanner Bybee all season long, I I think it's, yes, it's impressive to have that that runner-up title and just to be in the final three of such a a fun class and all of those things, but he really, really was a standout. I mean, I had a Rookie of the Year vote this year. I had him second, obviously. With unanimous, that means I had Gunnar Henderson first. So uh, I, I think everyone sort of looked at it this way of like, this is... Seems like a clear cut. It's difficult. Rookie of the year is so difficult to vote on because yes, there's a couple times where some pitchers will work their way into an MVP conversation and I won't even go down the route of Shohei Otani because he, he's an, an enigma and he doesn't even make sense and he cannot be classified into anything. So, but when you're looking at rookie of the year, it's truly the only one that you are trying to make pitchers and position players equal. And it's so challenging. And whenever I was voting on that, I wasn't really fully expecting that. That was my first time voting on rookie. And I underestimated how difficult it is to compare those things because you just, it's apples and oranges. And so the fact that Bybee was able to make himself stand out the way that he did, um, well, it spoke for himself, for itself. It was really, really impressive. His numbers under uh, sub three ERA and just leading in um, so many different categories among rookies. I mean, it, it, it was without a doubt that he deserved to be in the top three. Um, but what he did for also the Guardians organization as a whole when mm, end of July, first week of August, their entire opening day rotation was not even there. Um, Zach Plesak was in the minors. Shane Beaver was hurt. Tristan McKenzie was hurt. Aaron Savali was with Tampa Bay and Cal Quantrill was hurt. And so they're like, uh, how are we going to do this? And that sort of had the mindset of we're never going to catch the twins. So let's just start focusing on 2024. Well, Bybee was the sole reason that they stayed together with that rotation, allowed them to remain competitive and force them to then go after uh, every waiver claim that the Angels had last year. And uh, and so they tried to make another push. It allowed them to stay competitive. So I think that that deserved a lot of credit and, of course, allowed him to be second place over Tristan Casas, who had an unbelievable year, too. I'll stay on the topic of pitching and in the AL and bring us to Gert Cole, who I am expecting probably to be another unanimous selection here during awards week. I'm expecting him to win Cy Young. I will mention Kevin Gossman, of course, of the Blue Jays, and Sonny Gray of the Twins also had outstanding, outstanding years. But to me, Gert Cole really distinguished himself. And of course, I will always point out that I was the only one on our top 10 list entering the year at the LV Network who had him on the list, which we know Garrett Cole is aware of. So, you know, just going to say maybe a little extra motivation was provided to him by my colleagues. But either way, he is likely going to be the first Yankee pitcher to win Siam since Roger Clemens in 2001. To me, that's incredible for a team that has been so successful since then and has had really, really good pitching. And he would be the first on that point 
that has been so long. The only Yankee pitcher, they've had five Cy Youngs. Only one was unanimous for Gentry in 1978. It would be fitting if Cole would join him because Gentry had the uh, single season strikeout record and a few other things that Cole has already broken so far. You have Kevin Gosman who has all the strikeouts. I mean, it seems like that's really the only thing that would ever turn any eye against any single stat that Garrett Cole put up this year. Um, blown away by the fact of how long it's been since the Yankees had a Cy Young winner. I didn't realize right? that. That I would not have believed that if someone other than you told me that. So um, <laughs> that's really hard to uh, fathom considering that organization in general. But um Aside from just strikeouts for Kevin Gosman, I think it's it is just a slam dunk. Garrett Cole, I agree with you. It's going to be unanimous. It has to be unanimous. You look at his numbers this year; they were amazing. Sonny Gray was great, and um, I immediately go back to what I talked about before: watching the Twins season end in the postseason in their clubhouse and just seeing how like gut wrenching it was for Sonny in, in general, just personally, not knowing what his future held and. Um, having his kids in there and just seeing the emotional toll that this season took on him and how uh, it, how much it meant to him. You know that this is so special just for him to just be a finalist, but I think all three of the finalists pretty much know where this is going to end up going, and I uh, completely agree with you. Garrett Cole seems like a slam dunk. One other really cool thing for Cole is he is absolutely on that list of guys who I think we all sit here and we're almost like, wow, he really hasn't won one yet. Yeah. So he has finished top five for Siam five times in his career before this year. So this already, no matter what happens, is his sixth top five finish. The most top five finishes for a pitcher before winning his first Siam is three by Dennis Eckersley. So Gary Cole is going to break that by two, having finished top five five times before this year. There are a lot of ways to look at that, but I look at it as a positive that he will appreciate this more than anyone else who has ever won in a certain way because he has been so close so many times. I mean, finishing second to his teammate back in 2019. 19 when he was on the Astros with Justin Berliner. He's been so close so many times, so you love to see him. Hopefully, by, the, uh, by Wednesday, finally win one. I'm curious for you, um, if you're analyzing how these are evaluated and how these guys are compared to one another, what is most important in your mind to look at when you're looking at these pitchers? Because you can go... Like from obviously you look at ERA, you can look look at war, you can look at those types of generalistic things. But how important is it like innings pitched? At what point do you have to say like, okay, this this guy threw so many more that it's just so difficult to even justify that this guy had who had the lesser number of innings thrown? Like what what is it for you that's the easiest way to evaluate them across the board? I mean, I think you summed up perfectly that there is no easy way. There's so many things. And I do think innings really do count for something. And that's, I think, a big part of why Logan Webb is top three in the National League. We'll get there in a second. 
think a lot of people were expecting that their name was like so and that guaranteed to be uh, Justin Seale or Spencer Schreier. Logan Webb led the world in innings and was really, really good. And I do think, especially this day and age, that deserves a ton of credit. I mean, the role of the stats, um, was it last year with Sandy? Where if you had taken him out at the moment when most of his competitors were, I'm kind of summarizing, but if he had gone five or six innings, most of his start zero would have been lower than some of the games where he's sitting in game of a late run, what have you. But there's a lot to be said for the fact that he did say I actually might be thinking of a year where that was the case with uh, Zach Wheeler as well. So I do think that's important. It's not the only thing, but I think these days that's a really good way to distinguish yourself. So when you're keeping all of these things in mind and you're looking at the NL side of the board, where do you think this will, how do you think this will all play out? Because Blake Snell's ERA is ridiculous. But you also then look, like you said, Logan Webb worked his way in there for throwing 216 innings, which in today's game, you don't see that very frequently anymore. So how do you balance all of this out? I mean, I am expecting Snell to win. And I think that even though he didn't maybe throw as many innings as we might want to see overall, not even we, I personally don't care, but some people might. He was so dominant. And basically every start after his, what, first five, first six? I mean, every time he came out, I had another update to the stat of having a 120 ERA in his 23 starts span, or an even lower ERA over a longer span. Whatever it was, he was constantly adding to that. All of these strikeups, not allowing many runs, and I think overall that just made him so, so dominant. I am wondering if that one might end up unanimous as well. Because Gallon didn't have as good of a September. And I think Logan Webb was unfortunately kind of underwritten, but we'll see. And so, okay, we have, we move into the most prestigious award that you get every single year. Um, this year, we go into especially the AL. I think we all know where that's going to end up going and rightfully so you just I don't know how to keep coming up with words to explain what Shohei Otani is because there's there aren't there aren't any words in the English any language dictionary out there I'm not limiting this to just the language that I speak there's no proper word to describe what he is and it sucks that he had to limit what he could do this year due to injuries and it's just so frustrating because this season was going to be unlike anything else especially a year in which he's going into his what's going to be a mess of a free agency chaos everything and it's i'm so here for it and i'm so excited for it but um even with injury it's clear shohei otani um is going to be the guy to 
to win the MVP and you have Marcus Simeon, you have Corey Seager, which I thought was cool to have two World Series champs be the ones who are also joining him. Um, but I think they know going up against Otani is not going to be an easy task. Absolutely. And I'm curious to see if this one is unanimous. Nobody has ever won multiple unanimous MVPs. No, Tony was unanimous in 2021, so he would be the first guy to do that twice. Obviously, in case anyone has forgotten who is listening to this, all of these votes are sealed at the end of the regular season. If you went through the playoffs, people would certainly expect Corey Seager to get some first place votes. But on October 1st, he was not yet a two-time World Series MVP, so we'll see what happens there. I think he'll get a first place vote or two for being on a team that was competitive all year. For all that he did, even while injured, but I mean... Otani is amazing, and to win MVP and go into free agency, there have only been four players to do that. Aaron Judge last year, Alex Rodriguez in 2007, Barry Bonds in 1992, and Robin Young in 1989. Three of those four stayed with the same team. The only one to change teams in free agency was Bond, and I'm thinking Otani will be the next one on that list. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. I, I, I this isn't. <laughs> I don't say this seriously because it's obviously not a serious question. But is it even fair that he's part of these? Because <laughs> like to everyone else, it's just so not fair. Because how can you even say that? someone else would be more valuable than a guy who can be one of the best hitters and one of the best pitchers. I mean, if he did one of those things with the numbers that he has, he would be in consideration of being one of the best of that specific, whether whether it be hitter, hitting or pitching. But then you have both in one human. And so <laughs> how can anyone think that someone else would be more valuable than that. I mean, you can look at offensive numbers and say, okay, yeah, Seegers could be, some people would view that as better than Otani's numbers, and I would get that. But then you also then kick it with the fact that Otani's pitching stats were so unbelievably impressive as well. And it's just like, how can anyone even come close to competing? My brain's like, how is this even fair? Because there's no way that you can justify anyone being more valuable because he does two things insanely well and no one else in baseball can do that. So how can he just be this creature who's trying to compare to, I don't know. That's where my brain goes of, it's just not even fair. (laughs) I mean, we had a round table about this. I want to say it was me. Allison Porter, Mike Petrillo, Mimi, Mark Feinstein, or maybe Castro with us a while back, basically talking about the idea of if Otani is healthy every year, he's just automatically in the MVP. And I think the conclusion was essentially as long as he has Otani and the all caps, oh my goodness, what did he just do? Kind of why. That he is, I mean, he does not get credit just for doing both. But doing both 
an absurdly high level. That's on another level from anyone else in baseball ever. So if we go to the NL side to round out the awards week, um, obviously it's uh, obviously it's uh, it's another conversation. They don't they don't have a, a Shohei Otani, but I think we have another slam dunk when we're starting to look at these things. It's 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 difficult because yes, Acuna was unbelievable. You also have people looking at Freddie Freeman, who was great. Nothing against. Mookie Betts, uh, because his numbers were also outstanding. I mean, he had 39 home runs for a guy who's trying to say that he didn't belong in the home run derby because he's not a home run hitter. So I understand all of that. And I I mean, I think all three, honestly, truly are really outstanding. But to me, Acuna is ridiculous. And you go back to what you were saying earlier of how these two were the rookies of the year together. And now... I think they're going to be the MVPs together because how couldn't they be? I love the symmetry. It is so, so cool. Two guys, by the way, from totally opposite backgrounds, right? Acuna was winning that as a 20-year-old from Venezuela, and uh, Otani was winning as like a 25-year-old, 24-year-old from Japan just Totally different situations, and here they are in 2023, doing it all all over again. I do want to say, Mookie Bet deserves so much credit for playing second base and right field this year. If he did not do that, and again, just like Otani, it's not just playing both positions, it's doing them both really, really, really all-star caliber well. If he doesn't do that, I don't know the Dodgers win the division. I don't know that they keep it all going, and I know they fizzled out in the playoffs, but his positional flexibility and all of that really, really helped Dave Roberts and helped that team. And there's a lot of value in them. And I don't want to talk about how we define MVP. All of that most valuable versus best player. Acuna is all man, no question. But Mookie Bet was incredibly valuable in a way that we can't even fully quantify other than looking at guys to play those two positions that much in one year. I mean, I'm excited to see how all this will play out. I'm excited for this full circle moment for Sarah because I know that that's going to be just as satisfying as it can possibly be to have these rookies come together as MVPs just a handful of years later. Um, We'll take a quick break right now. And we talked about it last time. Baseball season isn't over and Sarah is here to prove why. So we'll talk more to Sarah about that when we come back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy. That's Sarah. And uh, I mean, I'll just leave it up to you because baseball is still going on and it's actually going on at City Field. At least it did over the last week. And uh, you were able to be in attendance. I didn't realize that. I think I just like checked your Instagram story or something and you had like your game total. And I'm like, wait a second, where? Wait, is that a city field? What is going on? I didn't even realize it was happening. So I guess I'll just leave it up to you to explain the experience of the last few weeks of how baseball season is continuing. Oh my gosh. So as I've talked about on here, baseball never ends. We have Warner Ball. There's the Dominican Winter League, which is so much fun to watch. If you have an MLB.TV subscription, you can watch it. Every night except Monday, games around 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. in the DR, three games a night, there's six games. It is such a fun league. And this year, the past weekend, they brought two of the most popular teams, I should say the two most popular teams, the Grace and the Las Aguilas. Sibainas to City Field to play a three-game exhibition series in front of a ton of fans, and it was so much fun. I was lucky enough to be there in the press box all three days. The crowds were amazing. In total, more than 90,000 people over the three days. It was 25,000 plus on Friday, 33,000 plus on Saturday, and 32,000 plus on Sunday. It was in the 50s the first two days. First game was a night game. It was cold. <laughs> and on Sunday, it was like 44. Game time feels like 42. And people are there cheering, air horns, freezing. And so happy to be there. And so much dancing and excitement. I mean, the... Crowds were like during the WEC, where every single single was amazing. We had almost no hitter in the night on uh, Saturday. I was getting ready to text you and guess what? I saw another top in the ninth, one out, ball hit to the right fielder, and there's a review. They catch it, did he trap it? He trapped it, and it was base hit, first base hit in the game, really same. The reaction <laughs> in the crowd and the press box to the review was so electric. Every single person hanging on, every single word from the upper, it was so much fun. And it was just a really, really cool experience. This league is not really... Homer Happy League on the lean is played at sea level. So you don't really have balls flying. And then this weekend it was cold. So we finally got our one home run on Sunday from um, from Carlos Paulino. But yeah, it was so much fun. I mean, I could go on forever. 
I mean, you talk about the crowds that were there, and it's just ridiculous, the crowds that you've been able to be a part of, seeing the World Series, seeing the WBC. Um, it doesn't surprise me that it showed up, like that the, the crowd showed up the way that it did for these types of games as well. Um, but I'm curious, what was like the press box like? What was the media like? Is there is was there a lot of media for this? Because it's just it's so cool to me that this is getting as much attention now as it more than it ever has in the past. There was there was a ton of Dominican media there. So cool. Um, our great colleague Natalie Alonso was there for Los Mayores. Uh, Jake Schusterman and uh, Jake Minton, Jordan Schusterman. Obsessed with barbecue were there. I was there. It was kind of a hot pot, but um, a little inside baseball, but it was very easy to get to if you had a BBWA card. So I saw a handful of media members who, you know, chatting with one. Didn't really know much about the league, but I got an email. Knew he'd come in with his card and said, yeah, might as well go see a game. So... There was also that level of interest, but, you know, media coverage in this year is very different. So, you know, you got some cheering in the press box Mm -hmm. and some reactions, and it was all so much fun. The other really cool thing is that the first day, the first pitch was the vice president of the year throwing to Big Poppy. Oh, wow. Then on Saturday, the ceremonial first pitch catcher was Nelson Cruz, who I told you guys last week just won this big retirement tour. And then Sunday, Pedro Martinez. So this was a huge deal for the community. And I'm so glad whoever involved with the Mets made this happen. Thank you. Because it was incredible. And it was just... I thought it was so well done from top to bottom. All of the ads in the ballpark were the ones I see when I watch these games in Spanish on TV. The announcements were in Spanish. It really felt like, it didn't feel like, hey, you guys are guests and you're at City Field, but this is the Mets playing. It felt like, hey, you guys are here to play. Hey, you guys are here to play the game we all love, and this is your home for three days. And I hope that makes sense, that distinction. But it made, a, it, made it really, really resonate to me. It's just, uh, there's no words. That's, that's so cool because this isn't something that really gets <coughs> a lot of attention. Um, and I think over the last few years, it's getting more and more. Um, and I just think it's important to put that out there because so many fans of their teams here, like, oh yeah, this guy's going to be going to winter ball. Um, and you just hear that term winter ball and you never really dig deeper than that. But now that you can watch these games on MLB TV, you can now see them in person whenever they're coming to city field, those types of things, growing that game more than just, uh, being what you hear of these guys are doing in the off season. It's really cool because there is baseball all winter long and you can watch it. You can enjoy it. And there are names that go and participate in these things. And it's not just these rookies who you've never really heard of or these prospects. Um, so it's really, I think it's great that we're able to grow this the way that it has been. I'm so excited that you were there and we can have a firsthand account of how all of that went. 
Um, but again, as Sarah has said many times and will continue to say, there is no off season for baseball. And this is not just a couple of games at City Field and you're done. Uh, you can watch all of these on MLB TV. Sarah will be watching all of them. So um, I'm sure we'll see plenty of uh, posts on social media. I'm getting better at saying that um, uh, for all winter long to continue to feel like baseball season is here. But just because baseball season MLB, let's just say MLB season is over, um, doesn't mean that we can't still come up with our favorite moments from the league or whether it be winter ball, as I said, or anything else, because there's still baseball moves happening. So when we come back, we can dive into our favorite moments from baseball over the last few days. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Sarah Langs, and our wonderful producer, Alana Schreiber, who's going to be starting us off with our favorite moments from baseball for the last week. So, Alana, do you have your favorite? I do. So it's less baseball related and more you guys related, but Saturday was my birthday, and (laughs) you guys look very shocked, Um, but... (laughs) Uh, there's a really fun tradition in New Orleans on your birthday where you pin a dollar to your shirt so strangers know it's your birthday and you walk down the street and everybody wishes you a happy birthday I went to vote all the poll workers were so excited it was my birthday and not only that but people just start to give you money you make a ton of money by the end of your birthday it's pretty awesome I highly recommend birthdays in this city but I decided this year to donate all the money I made to Project ALS um, <laughs> Sarah. So I also ended up having as a birthday party, it was a talent show. So everyone had to do a talent. Um, I obviously tap danced while singing the periodic table of elements song. I didn't set out to like essentially host like an ALS benefit talent show, but that's kind of what it turned into because once I told people what I was donating the money for, it came in in droves. I mean, normally in the past, people will pin a dollar to me. People were giving me $20 bills. I've never had that happen on my birthday before. And if they didn't have money with them, they were donating. So my one day fundraiser, I ended up making $200, just donated it to Project ALS today. Um, And it was really special to be able to share your story on my birthday and to raise so much money and made me excited for future fundraising opportunities. We're not allowed to make me cry during this segment. (laughs) This is a happy segment. Oh my goodness. First of all, we both reacted the way we did when you said it was your birthday because we both would have wished you a happy (laughs) birthday. I had no idea. So happy belated birthday and thank you so much for doing that with your birthday. I love using the power of birthdays for good and thank you so much. Birthdays mean so much to Sarah. So just to have all of that be one, one, that's why she also reacted that way because now she's (laughs) devastated that she missed a chance to celebrate a birthday. Um, And two, uh, just to have all of that be 
what like one huge for ALS and being a birthday celebration. I know that's sort of how Sarah celebrated her birthday this year of having fist bumps and having money raised for that. So, oh my God, that's the coolest thing. And we might as well just end the podcast now, Sarah. What we say now doesn't even matter. That just won. We have nothing to say now. We'll continue, I guess. But, um, well, I guess I should have closed with Alana because that's the topper of the day. So oh my God. on behalf of Sarah too, thank you for doing that because I, it's just so, it's so cool. That's so amazing. And also shout out New Orleans for that tradition. Yeah, thank you, City of New Orleans. That's an incredible tradition. And the fact that people were so excited to even donate more after they knew what you were doing. Ah. Uh, Heartwarming. But one other special thing about it is my birthday also this year was the same day as Gleason Gras, which is Steve Gleason Mardi Gras. Of course, Steve Gleason, former Saints player with ALS. I couldn't go to the event because it was like a fancy, expensive gala, but I loved that on my birthday, there was so much ALS fundraising happening, whether oh. it was at Gleason Gras or with people pinning dollars to me. <laughs> You're the best. Just too perfect. Thank you so, so much. Okay, Sarah, we'll try to transition. I mean, mine is totally silly in comparison. (laughs) What I was going to say is that watching the Rick of the Year announcement on Monday night, I noticed behind Corbin Carroll, he had a couple of his teammates, including Pavin Smith, Brandon Fott, and Alec Thomas, and then... I saw on social media after Troy Lavello was there as well and uh, Emma Longoria and I assume other members of the team as well. And I just love that they were all there to celebrate him. Clearly he shows through this in Arizona instead of back home in Seattle. And I mean, we've seen these things a million times. Guys always have a ton of people there to support them. But I couldn't remember seeing that many teammates right there in close proximity. And I just thought it really spoke to the impact he had on his teammates all year. The impact that team had on everyone involved. So I love seeing that. Yeah, I agree. And mine's sort of the same thing of going into baseball and being really silly and not even worthwhile mentioning. But I'm going to do it anyway. Um... Mine was more of like a personal experience from the last few days. The Guardians introduced their new manager, Stephen Vogt, um, at Progressive Field in one of their club-type seatings because the whole ballpark is undergoing so many renovations right now, and it's an active construction zone. So we were we were in there. It's a big space, night space, and Vogt was everything and more that anyone could have prepared me for. I know you tried to tell me just how great he was and how much it fun he'll be and this is a setting where you don't really know how guys will react this is a tone setting like this is a big deal this is his first press conference as a manager you don't really know and it's very clear why he stood out throughout the interview process and so I think my favorite thing of going through all of this was to see how effortlessly he can flip into like comedian mode um and he was the way that he sat there at the podium and went from choking up over the fact that his dad introduced him to this game and made him fall in love with it to five minutes later, not even finishing up his speech and walking off the pod, walking away from the podium back to his seat 
And there were employees in there, not just media, team employees. And it was like this awkward silence. And so a couple like employees, co-workers, I guess, of his now um, started to clap. But it was like that awkward couple of claps of like, do we clap here? Do we not clap here? <laughs> and so instead of allowing that to be just so painfully uncomfortable, he just started like flipping his hands up in the air to trying to hype up the crowd to get <laughs> everyone to start clapping. It's like, yeah, let's go. And it was just like so clear why he stood out because that personality is so attractive to anyone in a room because he knows how to make everyone of different groups come together find things funny or find a reason to bond people together and so he was so good with all of that um and so i think that one was uh very comical he did a couple of things throughout the entire day uh that sort of reflected the same thing there was of course a couple of references to the man down by the river because of his matt foley impression that he did in the past and someone asked him about like started with that but they said all right now seriously how how do you think you're why do you think you're ready for this and he then quoted matt foley to start it off and everyone <laughs> didn't understand was just staring at him he's like that's a man down by the river joke all right we'll move on and so he kept going but the way that he was just so natural i think was so enjoyable for everybody because it truly seems like it's genuine um and the fact that his family was there he has three kids my goodness, were they funny. The two boys were sitting there in like a scrum around him talking and the two boys, I could hear them wrestling behind me. And I'm just like this. And he just talked about how important it was to find a family friendly environment to him. And it was clear, like these guys are going to be around all the time. Um, I know it's important for him to have the team, the players, families involved in all that stuff. And his kids are going to be there. His kids are active in sports and um, his wife was a collegiate basketball player, coach at the college level, coach at the high school level. So it's just like this family is just so together, so active. And to see the two little dudes behind me just rolling around wrestling on the ground um, as this is all going on, it just felt like such a non-pressured environment. It felt so relaxed and like such a good fit. So it was enjoyable to be a part of. And I just thought that he was as advertised for what you prepared me for and was even more natural, genuine, funny than I could have even pictured. I'm so excited for the uh, stories we'll get starting <laughs> winter meetings and then the yeah. spring training. I can't wait to hear them all from you. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. And Sarah and I will catch you back here after the holidays.